And it comes in handy because we've had a, our work cut out for us to get through the whole Bible in five weeks. Yes, we're almost done. So the story so far is creation was good. God created everything good. He created man in his image, man and woman. They failed. They dropped the ball and visited the curse of sin upon the human race. Because man kept failing, God raised up a man of promise, Abraham, through whom he was going to bless all of his offspring and the nations through him. And uh, that was the nation of Israel. And Israel did okay, but then they continued to fail. And they had to go into exile in Assyria and Babylon. And the prophets were preaching repentance, calling them to obey God and to um, put their trust in Him. And they also preached hope. And they preached of a hope of a a coming uh, renewed Eden, a coming kingdom that would be full of righteousness and peace and joy and all kinds of good things that really didn't transpire even when Israel came back from being in exile. And last week we saw, well, the reason was because only Christ could accomplish these things, the Son of God. And so that brings us up to where we were last week. Last week we saw that Jesus fulfills all of the Old Testament, all of the Old Testament. Everything in the Old Testament pointed to Jesus. The prophecies, the promises, the the priesthood, the covenants, In some way or another, Jesus is the ultimate meaning to all the Old Testament. Jesus is God's people, and what we've been saying is that a way to summarize the content of God's unfolding story is to say, it, it sounds like this, God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. And so we saw that Jesus is God's people, so to speak. He is the ultimate person. He's the perfect man. So he was the beginning of a new humanity. Jesus is God's place, meaning Jesus fulfilled what the tabernacle and temple were for, God dwelling among his people and and being that he paid the ultimate sacrifice that made the way, opened up the way for God um, to be reconciled to man. Jesus is perfectly fulfilled God's rule and saves us to live under his rule. And he brings God's blessing of salvation to the nation. So Jesus is God's people and God's place under God's rule and blessing. So with all that, if Jesus can be our Savior, only if what belongs to him is somehow shared with us. It's not helpful if if Jesus contains God's kingdom and new creation, and it somehow can't be transferred to us. So Jesus said to his disciples at one point, it's to your advantage that I go away. And they're going, what? That's impossible. So how could that be true? It can only be true if Jesus connects with his people in a greater way and it fulfills a greater purpose than if he had stayed on earth after his resurrection. We think that way sometimes. We think if Jesus had just stayed here and cleaned up this mess, then we wouldn't have this mess today. Jesus had a greater plan. So as we conclude our story of the Bible series, we'll see how Jesus is fulfilling the story today in his church by the Holy Spirit and will accomplish at last God's plan to dwell with his people in his place under, under his rule and blessing. And at last, the, the frequent promise in the Bible where God says, I will be your God and you shall be my people will be fulfilled. So I need to pray again because we've got a lot to cover and you have a lot to take in. So let's pray. Father, help us to 
see what we need to see today in, in a big picture way about your church and about the new creation. May your Holy Spirit be at work opening our, the eyes of our hearts to receive these truths and to be able to absorb what you have for us in, in growth and in hope and in holy living. In Christ we pray, amen. So the first thing that we'll see, if, if you're tracking with your outline, it's on the screen. The church is the new people of God. The church is the new people of God. Christ saved us that he might create in himself a new humanity. Whereas before Christ, to be part of God's people, you had to come through Israel. You had to adopt circumcision if you were a guy. You had to embrace their, all the symbolism of the priesthood and the tabernacle and the temple and all of that. You, that was the only way to God. And in Christ, that's been transformed. So we'll see this in Ephesians 2, 11 to 16. Ephesians 2, 11 to 16. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles, and if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile, take away for the day, in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. You had no hope of a Messiah. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments because he fulfilled them expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two. So he took the the two alienated humanities and have united them because they both needed to be reconciled to God and united them as one new person, one new humanity. So he made peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Now God says of his church which includes both Jews and Gentiles, what he originally said of his people Israel when he had delivered them from bondage in Egypt. We see this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And he's quoting from Exodus 19. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So this is now who we are as Jews and Gentiles, reconciled under Christ, through Christ, in one new humanity. We're the new people of God. Not only that, but number, point number two, the church is God's temple, as God's new place, new hangout for God. Last time we said that Christ is God's place, as we said, since it is in him that God and man meet, where God dwells with man, and so he fulfills the tabernacle and temple he in himself accomplished the once-for-all sacrifice to which all the temple sacrifices pointed. Since Christians, those who trust in Christ, Christ's church, are by definition in Christ as his body, the church is God's temple. So in Ephesians 2, 19-22, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. 
in him you are being built together in, into a dwelling place of, for God by the Spirit. So we're not, we haven't arrived yet. We're still under construction. So warning signs, hard hats, zone, construction. We're being constructed into a holy temple for, for God. And Peter says that as well in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. We'll just look at verse 5 here. He says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So just look around the room. These are your fellow stones. Love your fellow stones because you're being constructed. And what we do, not just when we're gathered, but in a special way when we're gathered, we offer spiritual sacrifices because we're all priests. You didn't know that. You're not wearing a collar or anything, but you are a priest. When you pray, when you praise the Lord, when you serve one another, you're carrying out the priestly work of Christ. So we have much more direct living connection with God as a spiritual temple being built and indwelt by God's Spirit than ever they did under the Old Covenant. And sometimes you think, well, wouldn't it have been great to be there with the temple, the tabernacle, and kind of hands-on? And it's no. It, it would have been at the time, but it's not better. We have it better, as hard as that is to believe. Church buildings are good. They come in handy. It, they're helpful for doing ministry in, but this is not holy space in and of itself. It's, it's God's temple because God's people are here, but not the building. It's you. Not only are we God, the church is the church God's people and God's place, but the church is under Christ's rule. King Jesus, this is point three, rules in his church through the gospel. We saw that since Jesus, the Savior King, which means he's the Messiah, which means he's the Christ, came into the world, died for sin, and rose again, getting victory over sin, death, and devil for us. That's why he did all that. It wasn't any other reason than for us. And yes, it glorifies God, but it glorified God to save us because that was the only way that we could ever be connected with him and not be condemned. So he did all that for us. When he did that, he inaugurated the kingdom of God. He saved us into his kingdom that we would be able to joyfully live under his rule. In fact, in Revelation 1.6, John writes that Christ who freed us from our sins by his blood made us a kingdom. So in freeing us by his blood, he made us a kingdom. So you're a temple, you're a kingdom. The reason we are saying at this point that Jesus rules his church through the gospel is because until Jesus returns, our salvation is not yet complete. Nor is God's kingdom here in, in full. We still squirm under his rule, don't we? We squeal and squawk under his rule, or worse things. This is where you need grammar to grow in the Lord. We're saved past tense, present tense, and future tense, right? So in the past, we have, we have been saved from sin's penalty. We are being saved from sin's power as we speak. And we will be saved in the future from sin's presence altogether. That's why we say we, we live under Christ's rule, but his rule under the gospel. 
The New Testament letters follow this pattern. They say because of what Christ has done for you and who you are in him, this is how you are to live. They always, the New Testament writers always um, base commands about how we are to live in who we are in Christ and what he has accomplished for us. So a sample is in Colossians chapter 3. It's, it's a, uh, verses 1 to 5. We'll just kind of run through the passage to give you a sample of how this works. So the first part in verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, that's a gospel accomplishment. We didn't do that. Then how, how are we to live? How are we to focus our faith? Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Another gospel provision is in verse 3. For you have died. So that's something Christ did. We died with him. And your life is hidden with Christ and God. I can't see all that I am because my life is hidden with Christ and God. Then when Christ, who is your life, appears, this is future focus, then you will also appear with him in glory. And finally, it, then how are we to live? Verse 5, put to death, therefore, therefore, because all these things are true, put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, impure passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So that's why an, an example of how we are under Christ's rule by the gospel and not by just raw commands. And the way Jesus enables and empowers us to live according to who we are in Christ and what we have in Christ is through the indwelling Holy Spirit. He did not leave us to live under his rule and our own strength. The Holy Spirit works in us the life of God's kingdom. It says in in Romans that the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So how do I live the kingdom life? I live in the righteousness, joy, and peace that are in the Holy Spirit. And if you're Jesus-focused, the Holy Spirit loves to magnify Jesus. So how do you live in the Spirit? You talk about and you keep refreshing and focusing your faith in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is at work when you do that. God's law was perfect. It just couldn't empower God's people to live it. It could only condemn sin it could not free from sin or forgive it. So in Romans 7, 6, now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. If you are in Christ, you live according to the Spirit, not by your fleshly, spiritually dead nature. And so Galatians five sixteen says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Tim Keller wrote, As things are brought back under Christ's rule and authority, they are restored to health, beauty, and freedom. So that's what we're designed, to live under Christ's rule by the gospel. And then finally, the church is God's new people, God's temple, Christ ruled through, through the gospel by the Spirit, and the church is to make disciples of all nations, carrying out the blessing originally promised to Abraham to the nations. The nations had been scattered after Babel and were suffering the consequences of their sin and rebellion. God in his mercy had a plan to redeem even even the rebellious nations. And so he did that by making a promise to Abraham that he would bless the nations through his offspring. 
by the perfect life of Jesus, by the death of Jesus, by his resurrection, Jesus fulfilled the conditions of God's promise to Abraham and that through his offspring all the nations on earth would be blessed. And the blessing was forgiveness of sin and eternal life, which are good things to have, don't you think? Forgiveness of sin and eternal life? Yeah, it's like dangerous to enter eternity without those things. God's plan was that after the atoning death and resurrection of Jesus, Jesus would ascend to the Father and send the Spirit and that his church would make disciples and multiply churches until he would return. So how does the church prepare for Jesus' return? How do we pass the time? We keep multiplying disciples and churches until Jesus comes and don't stop. Don't stop till you drop or till Jesus shows up. That's from the Bible. <laughs> somewhere. It's there. It's not somewhere I know. It's, yeah. Basically, what we are blessed to share the blessing of, of life with others. That's why God blesses us. Jesus had to review this mandate more than once. The disciples said at one point, Hey, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Are you? Are you? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times. You just are going to be my witnesses. I'm going to empower you. So in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. You will be my witnesses. You will live as my witnesses. You You will be testifying by how you live and how you speak about who I am wherever you are. And intentionally, you're spread out from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. Jesus hasn't come back yet because he's not done saving people. He wants big numbers. He does. He's into big numbers. He's not only into big numbers, but he wants to save lots and lots of people. He is so good. He has so much goodness. He has so much goodness to share. He just needs lots of people to share it with. And we can't enjoy his goodness unless we're saved from his anti-goodness. The church exists in the world for mission to the nations, <clears throat> for being witnesses to all peoples. As Adam was commissioned to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, so now the church is to multiply over the face of the earth, subduing it with the gospel of Christ, which frees people from sin and for joyful obedience to God. Have you done any joy- joyful obedience to God yet today? Yes? Glorious. And this prepares the earth for the king to return and consummate, that is, bring to completion his kingdom at last. So now we'll talk about that. In point five, God's people will dwell with him in the new heavens and earth, the new Jerusalem and the new Eden, talking about God's people and God's place in the end, what, is, what he's been designing all along. Um, <clears throat> Because of the broad overview of this study, we're not dealing with some different views of end times. Um, That has in particular to do with something called the Millennium. The Millennium was a spacecraft that Han Solo uh, flew. And and so the debates are all about that. But for whatever your view on on that is, uh, all Bible-believing and reading Christians believe what Revelation 21 and 22 teach about the final eternal state of those who are in Christ. 
I said Bible reading and believing Christians because some have never actually carefully read these chapters and have um, non-biblical views on what we're like in the end. Mainly, a lot of people have the idea that we're just going to be these ethereal, misty spirits kind of floating on clouds, and we're just going to sleep in and be, you know, be enjoying um, laziness and all of that, floating, playing harps. If you have a desire to play a harp, maybe you'll get to, but that's not all it is. When Christ returns, we will be resurrected in bodies like Christ. We will not be angels. So just when one of your loved ones dies, don't, don't say there goes another angel in heaven. Say there goes a Christ-redeemed person or something more biblical. Um, we'll be living in a city, actually, the New Jerusalem, on new earth, in a new heaven, a, a new refurbished universe. Revelation 21, we'll look at that again. Revelation 21, 1 to 5, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. No deadliest catch. And, and I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with him. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will, will be with them as their God. You heard that somewhere before? He will wipe away every tear. No more reason for crying. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And it's a good thing he wrote this down so that we could have a clue. John describes the holy city, the new Jerusalem, as a bride, the wife of the Lamb. And uh, I don't have these verses up on the screen. It's further into chapter 21. But he saw the, the city coming down from heaven, from God. There's a lot of symbolism here in terms of 12. There's 12 gates. There's 12 foundation stones named after the 12 apostles. And the gates have the names of the 12 uh, tribes of Israel, and there's measurements that are 12s. In fact, the measurements are 12,000 stadia. The, the, the city is cube-shaped. It's 12,000 stadia, which is about 1,500 miles wide, long, and high. Imagine the parking structures in that high of a city. <laughs> this is the fulfillment of what was called the most holy place, the holy of holies, in the tabernacle and temple, which is also cube-shaped. So what's happened is the Holy of Holies is expanded to become the new city where we're going to live. Whether the city will actually be shaped like a cube or what John saw was symbolic, the main point of John's vision was to show that the city as the true, fulfilled, most holy place, the old symbolic most holy place, or Holy of Holies, was where God would receive the blood of the sacrifice from the high priest on the Day of Atonement, forgive his people, and they would get a private showing of his glory, a very limited showing, limited showing of his glory. Now that Christ has entered the, the true most holy place by means of his own blood once for all, securing eternal redemption for us, and when in the resurrection all residual sin will have been removed, we will be able to dwell in the holy city f- with Jesus forever. And here at last is the consummation of God's design for Eden, 
just as for the tabernacle and temple. Not an eternal temple, not an eternal building, that is a temple, but that God would dwell with his people in his place, the new Jerusalem. God himself and the Lamb, Jesus Christ, is the temple. We see that in Revelation 21, 22, and 23. He said, And I saw no temple, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Lamb, power, and light is going to power the city. And I think he keeps referring to Jesus as the Lamb because we're still sinners and we need to see that the only way that anybody's going to get there is if you've had the sacrificial Lamb atone for your sins. And that's only in receiving him by faith. In the old temple, only the high priest could approach the glory of God in the Holy of Holies. Now God's people can dwell in direct presence without being fried of the glory of God radiating through Jesus, who is the featured attraction of heaven for all eternity. And this is the fulfillment of all of our longings, as we've said before. Everything that you long for, your ultimate longing is, is fulfilled in, in beholding the glory of God in Christ. That's what your longings were created to, to maximize in their fulfillment for Unfortunately, sadly, tragically, not everyone will be in God's place. Those who do not trust in God's promise in Christ as Lamb of God, as Savior, Messiah Christ, Savior, will be judged on their own character and works because they won't have been freed from their sins by Christ's blood. They will not have life and righteousness from Christ. And so we see that, in, in, among other places, in Revelation 21, 8. As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And if you're up on your Revelation reading, you know that the beast and false prophet are there, and the devil himself gets cast there. So hard, hard, hard truth, but it's the fulfillment of God's justice. That's why we need Jesus why we need Jesus. He is our only hope. He's the only deliverance from that eternal lake of fire. Finally, almost finally, second, finally, Christ will reign forever. Point six. God never lost his ruling power over all things. But in his plan, he has patiently endured a lot of opposition to his rule, hasn't he? That's amazing how patient God has been for centuries and millennia of rebellion. But when Christ returns, all rebellion and corruption will be done away with. As God, God spoke in the garden when Adam and Eve first fell, the serpent's head will be completely crushed by Christ, the offspring of the woman. All prayers, your kingdom come, will be fulfilled. So keep praying that prayer and load it up. God will use those prayers. And Christ will reign forever, fulfilling God's covenant with David. Revelation eleven fifteen. Seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven. There's a lot of loud voices in heaven. So you'll have redeemed ears. You'll be able to handle it then. But 
uh, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah! It's going to be awesome. And then point seven, the new creation will include people from every nation. God's blessing will be fulfilled. God had blessed Adam and Eve and told them to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And at last, God sees to it that it gets fulfilled. Revelation 7, 9, and 10. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude. So I told you God was into numbers. That no one could, could number from every nation, every, all tribes, peoples, and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Revelation twenty one twenty four says, By the, its light, the light of the city, will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. So they'll bring into the worship of the nations, the glory and honor of the nations will be represented in, in the kingdom of all peoples and all nations will be represented, and they'll all be worshipers of, of Christ. So we see at last that the city is an enhanced Eden. It's a garden city. So thus, lovers of city life and lovers of country life will dwell in harmony. And there will be no tension because it's going to be like a garden-like city. See this. um, the, The exile from Eden is over and God's people are no longer in exile in the old world. So Revelation 22, 1 to 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life restored with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the, trees, of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, so the cursed is done. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Now perfectly restored under God's reign, man will now fulfill his role that God originally assigned him to rule over creation. God's redeemed and glorified people in God's place, the new Jerusalem, the new Eden, will live joyfully forever under God's rule and blessing. The very end of the book of Revelation gives us words from Jesus. Jesus says, Surely I am coming soon. And we say, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. If you're reading your Bibles correctly, that's what you're supposed to be longing for. So that's what our longing leads us to in coming around the Lord's table. Because the Apostle Paul writes, when we share the Lord's Supper together, the bread and the cup that are representative of his body and blood, we're, we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. And the fact that he's coming means he was resurrected. And so what we're confessing when we take this these elements together is we are one body in Christ and we're only that because of what Christ has done for us. In his atoning death, he has 
defeated sin, death, and devil once for all. And we're also confessing that we recognize we're in between the ages. We're in between his first coming and second coming. And the kingdom is not fully here. We're not fully experiencing our full redemption. But we, we, we know that God's promise is true and that we will experience the fullness of our salvation. But it only came through the death of God's son on a cross, paying the price for taking our judgment, our point, place in the lake of fire was taken by Christ. And through his atoning blood and his resurrection, he's given us life. So that's what we're confessing. In terms of preparing our hearts, we're, just, we're asking God to make us sensitive to any, any uh, obstacles in our attitudes and our words, anything that's holding us back from fully enjoying the, the redeem, redemption that we have in Christ. So the way we're going to do that is we're going to um, have some quiet time. We have four stations, so four tables, one here, one here, one here, one here. And we'll serve you the elements. And, uh, and then as two or three or four or five of you gather around, we're going to pray for you briefly just to pray for Christ to be real in your hearts and in your lives. If you haven't yet received Jesus as your Savior, as, as your Christ, as your Savior King, um, hopefully you've heard something in, in what we've been preaching from the story of the Bible that will make that a valid decision for you today. But if you're not ready to do that, then just let the elements pass by. So let's pray and, and we'll um, take the elements together. Father, we give you praise. Your plan, story of redemption, where you promised you would be our God and we would be your people. We who Christ has redeemed. We thank you that by your grace you've opened our eyes to see that he is the King of kings, he is the Lord of lords. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he is the one who is with you now at your right hand of the of authority, are readying the fullness of your kingdom to come. In the meantime, you have sent your spirit to enable obedience and faith and love and hope and growth and godliness and holiness. And in taking these elements, Father, we're both we're simultaneously confessing our constant need for Christ, continued need for cleansing from sin, continued need for renewal in life in Christ and our desire that he be glorified. The kingdom of our God, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ. We long for that day. Even so, we, we pray and we say, come Lord Jesus, let your kingdom come in fullness. And we'll take these kingdom, this kingdom meal, this is a good meal to enjoy on our journey through, on our waiting for your return. Father, May your blessing be upon us as we receive these elements to grow more deeply in love with Jesus. In his name, amen.